everyone. Welcome to episode number 12 of the Galaxy CDs, Rocks, and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and I will once again be your host, and I am once again coming to you from the Bat Cave here in the greater Cincinnati area. I hope this finds you well and coming off of a great week. Uh, the weather has finally broken. Fall is here. Uh, you may notice I'm sporting the flannel. Haven't seen one of these in a while. Uh, it's hard to believe. I went out with a friend sourcing earlier today and a few weeks ago we went out and we were just sweating buckets i mean it was scorching hot and today when we left to get started it was literally 46 degrees <laughs> so uh what a difference a couple of weeks can make anyway in this episode we'll have the normal um weekly news recap the galaxy cds rocks business recap uh, I have a few questions and comments from viewers and listeners, and we're going to start off with just a quick discussion on sourcing, since I already kind of went there. When I was in auto sales back in the day, we, we had a phrase that you should always be closing. Um, and by that, we meant you should always be trying to wrap up the sale. You should always be trying to get the customer to say yes and to make a purchase. Obviously, in reselling, because everything is online and you're having no real direct interaction with the customer other than creating a really compelling listing, there's no way for you to really attempt to close a customer other than perhaps to send an offer. But a similar concept, I think, kind of applies, and that is you should always be sourcing. And I, I really would like some feedback on this. So if you're watching on YouTube, leave me some comments below. If you are listening to the podcast, you can go to my anchor page at anchor.fm slash galaxy CDs rocks. You can leave me a voicemail or you can email me directly at galaxy CDs at gmail.com. And let me know what you think about how often uh, and how regularly you should be sourcing. I've taken a little bit of a break. I'm not sourcing nearly as much as I was say at the beginning of the summer because I have already acquired so much inventory with the 8,000 CD lot purchase, several thousand books and some other pretty good scores. Uh, but I'm still going out probably three or four times a month, hitting the garage sales, hitting the estate sales, maintaining contact with some of the estate sellers. And I think, like I said, you should always be sourcing to some degree. And the reason for that, I think, is twofold. And again, please feel free to chime in and let me know what you think. And number one, you never know when things are going to go dry. When, you know, we're in, I'm in obviously the Cincinnati area. We're probably six to eight weeks away from garage sales, pretty much ending in this area. And then, you know, another month after that, you're going to hit a really dry spell where even the estate sales won't be going on because of the Christmas holiday. So you're going to have a window of time where your sourcing opportunities are a little more limited if that's how you source. Now, if you're doing thrift stores or retail arbitrage, obviously those things are ongoing and you don't have that issue. But if your primary sourcing is garage and estate sales, depending on where you live, there are times a year where those things essentially dry up. So when you can, I feel like you should probably always be sourcing, always be looking for more stuff to add to your, what I call a cash pile, what a lot of you call a death pile, <laughs> which I think is a, is a bad name. I did a whole video on that way back in the day. Um, I think changing your outlook on that would be beneficial for you, but we won't get into that today. Um, and I think a lot of people, once that pile reaches a certain size, they essentially stop sourcing. They feel like, okay, I've got to get this listed. And it is true. It doesn't do you any good to 
source a whole bunch of stuff and then just accumulate it and not ever get it listed. But I still think it's important to continue to source again for those dry spells where you are starting to whittle down that death pile. And secondly, because most of us really, really enjoy the sourcing part of it. And that keeps keeps our soul alive a little bit, if you will. If you stop doing that, if you stop doing the part of the reselling gig that you really, really enjoy, sitting in the basement for eight hours a day, five or six days a week, even though it's the only way ultimately you can make any money, that can become a little bit of a dreary existence, <laughs> a little bit of drudgery. So getting out, spending some time actually around some honest-to-God humans and interacting with people and finding new treasures. You know, a lot of times the finding the treasure is more exhilarating for most of us than actually getting it listed and selling it and realizing the money from it. It's that initial rush of adrenaline where you find the $10 item that's worth $150 or whatever it is. And I had a few of those today and today was a real mixed bag and we'll get into that kind of in the business recap. But, um, that feeling, that excitement, that level of enthusiasm is what allows us, I think, to do the things that are the hard part, the listings, the photos, the customer service aspect, when you've got questions or returns or, you know, whatever is going on. So I think it's important for those two reasons. One, to always be able to have ample stock on hand so that when you do hit a dry spell, either there's no sales or you can't find anything, that you've got some inventory to work with so that you can continue to list, keep your store active, keep items available for sale. And secondly, to keep your spirits up, to just get out and have a little fun and maybe luck into a great score. So that's kind of my take on sourcing. I'd really, again, appreciate hearing what you think about sourcing. Do you source year-round? Um, I generally do. Uh, last year, during the really slow time where there were only a handful of estate sales, no garage sales, this is pre-pandemic when things really went on lockdown, um, I ran some Craigslist ads looking for merchandise. I got several good scores off of that. So there are ways to you know, to keep sourcing pretty much year round, even when things die down. And like I said, I think it's vitally important. Let me know what you think uh, in the comments below. And with that, let's. News updates. Talk about some reselling news. There's not a lot really going on this week. Um, eBay sent out a notice. I think they've got their, whatever it is, their seller thon or something like that coming up next week. Uh, so they'll have that going on. A lot of celebrations over the last, you know, few weeks for their, what is it now, 25 years that eBay has been around. Uh, I don't know. Some of us got, I think, a $25 off coupon a couple of weeks ago. That was really nice. I picked up some boxes for, uh, like I got 25 boxes essentially for $3 using that coupon. So that was kind of cool. So, uh, but they continue to celebrate that. Um, this isn't really necessarily eBay related other than that it's on eBay, but if you've been following the news at all, if you're any kind of a video gamer or anything like that, uh, PS5 pre-orders became available earlier this week. It was essentially a complete fiasco. Sony had said repeatedly that pre-orders would not just randomly start at some point. They would be scheduled so people would know when they were going to be available. And of course, that's exactly what didn't happen 
retailers just started putting out pre-order information kind of willy-nilly the other day. And I know a ton of people missed out. My nephew uh, missed out trying to get a pre-order in. And how this relates to eBay is, as you can imagine, almost immediately pre-orders were for sale (laughs) on eBay. Um, Starting as low as around $800, um, some uh, as much as five grand. I think there was one somebody put up for uh, even more than that. Um, some of them, you know, look like they may be legit. They're, they've posted their actual a copy of their receipt for their pre-order. Um, so that that's an interesting way. The ones that are, you know, five, six, $700, those are, I guess, not too hateful um, compared to the actual starting price of the item. But, uh, man, I don't, I don't know how, let me know how you feel about pre-ordering a pre-order by overpaying for it on eBay. It's not something I would do. I don't, I don't want a new game system that badly, but uh, if you do, is that something that you would consider doing? Um, There's going to be, I think, plenty of these available. The pre-orders obviously went very, very quickly. Sony is indicating um, they're going to make probably 11 million units by the end of the year. So, and I don't know if I would pay an extra two, three hundred dollars or more to get one that you're still not even going to have on day one because the whoever has it on eBay can't ship it to you until they get their pre-order. So you're still not going to get it first day. So I let me know what you think on that. But I I just found that a little unsurprising, I guess, really, because every time there's a big event like that, you see these things popping up on eBay. But uh, that one was a big one. There's a ton of them out there. Um. The other thing that popped up this week was uh, an article on Motley Fool, and I will link to this in the show notes and the description below. But uh, this was a kind of a nice piece for Etsy. Uh, as we talked about in a couple of podcasts previously, Etsy's stock has been a little bit down. They're, they're suffering some some kind of rough times on the stock. But this particular article talked about how the pandemic unmasked Etsy's profit potential. The online retailer sold over $133 million worth of face coverings in April alone. Um, so that, that's a ton. Uh, it sounds like they actually reached out to their vendors who made face masks and asked them to ramp up their face mask manufacturing, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um And according to its Q2 earnings report, um, Etsy had $346 million in global market sales in the face mask category, and 112,000 Etsy sellers sold at least one face mask. Uh, Of its total gross margin sales, that's that's amazing, (laughs) Uh, for the second quarter, face mask sales made up 13%. 13%. That's incredible. One 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 item, 13% of their business. Just remarkable. Etsy reported it saw 18.7 million new buyers come to the platform in Q2, including what it calls reactivated buyers, which were those who hadn't bought anything in a year or more, uh, but were initially shopping for masks. And then some of them did make other purchases too. So that was kind of cool. Uh, face masks, helped elevate Etsy's revenue in other areas, excluding masks. Sales rose 79% year-over-year in April and 93% for all of Q2. 
in Etsy's top six categories, which are housewares and home furnishings, jewelry and accessories, craft supplies, apparel, paper, paper and party supplies, and beauty and personal care products. Revenue was up 92% year over year. So just outstanding. Um, the article goes on to say, uh, near-term growth market unmasked a few days after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's April 3rd recommendation to wear cloth face coverings to slow the spread of COVID-19, Etsy mobilized some 20,000 face mask sellers and by the end of the month had three times that many, 60,000 selling face masks. So just an incredible um, a hat tip to Etsy you know, for jumping on that opportunity, for alerting sellers and makers of goods on their platform that this was a, a really monumental opportunity and uh, taking not only taking advantage of it, but providing a really worthwhile service. Now, I did hear horror stories about people waiting seemingly forever. My brother ordered some face masks for his family. I think he's still waiting for them. <laughs> uh, and that's been months now. So there was some of that that was going on. There were, you know, people that were offering items for sale that they had not yet made and uh, they got overrun a little bit with that. So it wasn't, uh, certainly was not perfect. But it was it was decent and it was good for Etsy and um, I think good for the country. We won't get into the whole face mask debate because I know people have uh, various different opinions on that. So I don't want I don't want to get too political here. So we'll leave that one alone. Um, but with that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and then we will be right back. All right, so let's get into some some viewer questions and comments. Brian asked, so with managed payments, are you saving the PayPal fees? So technically, no. And yes. <laughs> uh, so you're not you're not paying PayPal anymore, obviously, because you're no longer processing payments through PayPal, regardless of how they pay. They can still use PayPal, but everything is being processed by eBay. So you're not paying PayPal their fee any longer. So from that standpoint, that is correct. You're no longer paying the PayPal fee. But if you're on managed payments, all of eBay's final value fees now reflect the additional 30 cents a transaction plus whatever percentage they added to their old final value fee. So if it was 12%, now it's, you know, whatever it is, 13.9% or whatever the number is. So they've added that on. So essentially, you're still paying about the same fee. Uh, eBay says there'll be a little bit of savings for sellers because they're not paying two fees. Uh, I don't know. I haven't done the math. I haven't really looked at it that close. Um, but in essence, you're still paying a payment processing fee, but you're no longer paying it to PayPal. You're paying it to eBay instead. So... Um, there, there you go. I hope that helps. So yes and no. Um, essentially, net-net, like I said, eBay says it'll save most sellers a little bit of money. I've, I haven't dug into the math to see if that has actually been the case or not, but that's what they're saying. Um, Shop Eric Gifts asked, is it easy to run a sale on eBay and is there any strategy that I use for sales? So... This is in response to a comment that I made on my uh, What Sold on eBay video on Wednesday where I said I had some items that were on my 45% off, 35% off sale. 
And I think I, what I'll probably do is do a video where I show exactly how I go in and do this so that you can just actually see the things that I'm doing. But essentially, you can go into the promotions tab in your eBay store and you can do a what they call a sale plus markdown. And then you can select individual items or categories of items or you can set rules on how you want to do your sale and then you can specify kind of what those items are. I do it um, pretty much store-wide and I do it by price. So I look at things that are say $8 and over, $10 and over, $12 and over, whatever number I choose for the month and by their age. The reason I run sales is to try to move older aged inventory. So generally I start by looking at the oldest stuff. So I will, I'll do my filter by price and narrow that down. And then I'll start filtering by date, um, say 225 days old to two years old and see how many, how many are available in that tier. And I usually try to do 500 items at a discount. Sometimes I do a really big one, 40, 45%. Sometimes I do a smaller one, 25, 30%. Um, and I'll usually do two or three. So I'll do that first 500 at one tier, then I'll go back in and I'll select the next group of days back. So maybe that ends up being 160 to 219 days or something like that. And, you know, ratchet it down 35%, 25%, 15%, something like that. So that at any given time, I might have anywhere from say a minimum of 800 to a maximum of 15 or 1600 items on sale. You may not want to do that many. You may not be able to do that many. Most folks don't have that many listings. I've got 5,500 listings right now. And obviously I'm, you know, I like the long tail stuff. So I've got some things that are older and I don't really mind that they're older but I do like to try to generate a little activity on that. And sometimes throwing up that extra discount can uh, make a big difference in the amount of volume that you do. So like I said, I will probably do a video where I just do screen capture and I'll just go into my account and show you how I set up my particular sales um, and what I do with those. Uh, Van Jam said, I love being called a Galaxian. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. That's a That's kind of a throwback to... Uh, when I had my record store, it was just kind of a running joke. It, people would say they were going to the going to the galaxy. Nobody actually called it Galaxy CDs. They just said they were going to the galaxy, and everybody knew what they meant. And I we just kind of took to saying all those folks were Galaxians, and it's just kind of stuck. So I'm glad you like it. Uh, it is something that I will continue to use. But uh, I appreciate the comment. And Tyler self said my issue with the delay in processing payments into my business bank account and waiting them waiting for them to clear is that i am promising two-day shipping on all my listings and that won't be happening now this fact will most likely affect my shipping reviews or so i would guess isn't it strange how money comes out of your bank account within minutes when you make payments but when receiving payments it takes days so this was in response to my video, um, First Impressions of eBay's Managed Payments. Again, I, I understand the frustration with it, but I, I, and I commented on his comment in that video, and I'll reiterate it here. I've seen multiple sellers say they're going to take this approach, and I'll just, I'll just say it as plainly as I can. I completely disagree with that strategy. You're damaging your own business 
for no real valid reason. So for starters, you can take, you can pay for shipping out of pending payments. So payments that haven't processed to your bank account, payments that are not even in your available funds yet, you can use that money to pay for shipping. If you if you overdraw it and you come up on your next payment deposit window and you're in the negative, they can draw then on your bank account to settle up the account. So that's kind of a downside. If you're not doing a lot of transactions and generating much cash flow, that could put you in a bit of a spot. In my case, that's that first day. Usually I'm in the negative because I ship so many items and my account has been cleared down to zero. But usually by the next morning when payments process through, I'm back to the good. And by the time my deposit processes at the end of the week, I'm well to the good. So delaying your shipments, allowing yourself to take a negative impact on your customer service, potentially on your feedback and so on, just because of the way the payments are processing, I, I personally think is the, the, you know, cutting your nose off to spite your face. I just don't think it's a good plan. It, you should just continue to ship with whatever frequency you've done in the past. I really don't recommend making a change there. Um, the comment on strange how money comes out faster than it goes in, that has always unfortunately been the case. Again, as a former retail store owner, you know, if I purchased something for my store, I swiped my card, the money was gone right now. Um, somebody comes into my store, I swipe their card, and I hand them the merchandise, and I'm waiting three days for my money. <laughs> it's just it's just the way the thing is set up. Um, they want to access the... The problem is there are three people involved, the buyer, the seller, and the middleman, the bank. And whether they're using all of those little transactions to make money by holding onto that money for a day or two and generating interest, or whether it just legitimately takes that long to process a transaction from one bank through their system to another bank, I don't know. Uh, conspiracy theories would be that it's all about making a little interest. They're already charging whatever it is, you know, 1.9% plus 30 cents a transaction or whatever they're charging. So they're already getting a fee. Maybe they're holding on to that money for a little bit extra interest. I don't know. It Unfortunately, it doesn't really matter. That just is what it is. And it's that way across the board. This isn't unique to eBay. This is a payment processing issue that has gone on for years with traditional payment processors. You've, If you've ever made a return, you've noticed the same thing in reverse. So kind of the same thing. You went to Target and you made a purchase. You swiped your card. The funds were out of your account immediately for 10 bucks or whatever it was you spent. You got the thing home and it didn't work and you took it back and you went to do a return and they swiped the card to put the return in for you and they probably said something to the effect of it may take two to three business days for this deposit, this refund to be back in your account. It's the same. It's the same principle. Moving that money back and forth, it's instantly taken from the vendor and held before it's given back to you. So in in that case, you know, you're essentially the store and you're waiting for your money. So it happens both directions. It's unfortunate. I wish it was instantaneous. Again, I, I think I mentioned this previously, PayPal kind of had us all spoiled. You know, a purchase at eight o'clock 
funds were available for you to withdraw at 801. And, you know, if your bank account was good, they were there the next day. It was just an ideal situation. Um, unfortunately, this is not that. Uh, but again, I would not, I would not make business decisions that could negatively impact my business based on that fact. That's just me. Obviously, you can do what you want, but I, I think that's, I think you're risking your own income and your own profitability if you do that. And now it's time for the Galaxy CDs Rocks business recap. Um, like I said, very unusual week. Sunday, man, was just a blowout. It was so good. Um, had one really, really big sale, but I had decent volume. I think I had 17 transactions on Sunday alone. So we got the week off to a great start. Monday was terrible. Tuesday was good. Wednesday was okay. Then the last three days of the week, man, just awful. <laughs> um, really, really slow. Probably the slowest two or three days combined I have had in quite some time. All in all for the week, it didn't end up too terrible. Um, but it was a strange week. It was all front loaded. So hopefully that happens again tomorrow, uh, today, sorry. <laughs> uh, and we have a great day to kick off the week, but, uh, we'll start with listings for the current week. I managed to get 220 listings done. So back up over 200 for the week. Pretty happy about that. That puts me at 568 so far this month uh, with 19 days gone. So pretty, pretty decent track. Like I said, lost a little ground last week, made up a little ground this week. So pretty solid. So 568 listings for the month. Sourcing for the week. I mentioned earlier that I went out today um, with my friend Lisa. Uh, shout out if you're watching. Thanks. was a good time once again. Um, I only picked up 13 items. There were a few other things that I kind of looked at. I was at a couple of sales where stuff was just a little overpriced. Actually, I was at several sales <laughs> where stuff was a little overpriced. Um, and because I have so much stuff currently on hand, even though I just said you should always be sourcing, I'm being a little more selective in what I source, trying to pick things that I think are going to be either really quick turns or very profitable. So I only picked up 13 items. I spent $50.50. I've already listed all of those items and the total amount listed was $366. So that's not too bad. It should have been um, almost $500. And the reason it's not is because the biggest purchase I made today was a Pioneer SS, what was it? SX824 stereo receiver in its original box with its original styrofoam with its remote flawless physical condition Bought it for 30 bucks. They were asking 35. I got it for 30. I'm like, man, this is really nice. The comps, sold comps were 140 plus shipping. I'm like, outstanding. This is this is a score. Get it home, plug it in, dead. <laughs> uh, I told myself a couple of weeks ago, I'm not going to do electronics anymore. They're a hassle. I don't like, I like the money, but I don't like the time it takes to hook them up and test them and clean them and just go through all that drama. And if they don't work, man, what do you do? You're you're kind of hosed and I'm hosed. <laughs> uh, rideshare reseller. I, I watch, I follow him on Instagram. I watch his videos. He does really, really well with electronics. Um, my hat's off to you, man. I don't think I can take the aggravation anymore. So I got this receiver and 
plugged it in and the HDMI light is flashing. So I get on Google. What does that mean? It says, do this, reset, hold the power button and advance surround sound for three seconds, five seconds, and it should come back on. I did that. Boom, it came right back on. I was like, all right, score. And five seconds later, it went back out. I tried that twice, did the same thing, did a little more reading. Sounds like it needs a new HDMI board. So what do you do? Uh, in this case, I went ahead and listed it with at an auction starting at 30 bucks. So I'll lose my fees if it only goes for 30, but I'll essentially bust out of it. Um, plus shipping as a parts and repair only no returns as is. We'll see how that goes. I've successfully managed to do that in the past with electronics, but it's just, it's one of those things. It's kind of a headache that I just would really rather avoid. And I, I know again, he does really well with electronics. Um, the guy at uh, pure hustle podcast, I know I talk about them all the time. He is doing really well with electronics. He had a whole, I guess, shed full that he kind of was the same way. He doesn't like taking the time to do the testing and the cleaning, but he finally kind of got it done and had some really nice scores. So there is definitely money to be made. Uh, but this is the, and I, I think I've talked about it previously. This is the potential downside. If you get something that's DOA, man, what do you, you can't take it back. I mean, it's not like you bought it at a store and, you know, you can call the guy up. I, I told my friend Lisa that the thing was dead and she's like, oh, we should write him a letter. <laughs> uh, I wish, I wish we could do that. I wish we could, uh, Find some way to recoup that, but just not the case. So live and learn. We'll, that's up at auction. If anybody's interested in a Pioneer receiver, uh, real cheap, that uh, probably needs a new HDMI board, take a look at that one. In terms of business for the week, sales. Um, like I said, started off gangbusters. I was like, man, this is going to be a great week. Instead, at the end, it still turned out to be a pretty good week, 1384.29. So, again, back over that $1,300 mark, which is kind of bare minimum where I would like to be, but we'll take that. Uh, cost of goods sold, 74.44, a little bit high this week. I sold several of the wholesale CD lots, which are not super high, gross margin. Um, sold several shirts, several hats, and a couple other items that were not super high margin. So the cost of goods sold was a little bit higher than normal. Even with that being said, the gross profit was 1309 and 85 cents or 94.62%, which is still remarkable. Anything over 90, I'm thrilled with. So uh, after a couple of weeks of 96 plus 94 is kind of, a, yeah, yeah, it is what it is, but we'll definitely take it. Uh, operating expenses for the week. This is the first full week that I was only on eBay's managed payments. So everything is in here. So the actual net profit number at the end of this is real, honest to God, net profit. There'll be nothing else yet to come out of it. I have one more big eBay invoice, uh, which will be about 75% of what the last invoice was because I didn't spend the whole month on the old system. So I've got one more big hit yet to come out, but Going forward, this is the, the actual number, 461.05 for operating expenses. That, again, includes all of the eBay fees for a net profit of 848.80 or 61.32%. So really, really good um, net profit margin for the week. So I'm super stoked about that. 
if I could make eight, 900 bucks a week net, um, I'd be, I'd be sitting pretty. I would take that. Definitely would take that. I did make a couple of other changes this week. Um, I went ahead and activated Bonanza. Um, a lot of you are probably not familiar with Bonanza. I've been on and off there a few different times. Their, their user base is really, really small. Most people don't. They're hard to find a name like Bonanza. If you just Google Bonanza, you get the old TV show and you just get all kinds of stuff. And no, don't necessarily get the selling site very easily. The advantage to Bonanza is that it essentially syncs to your eBay account. So once it's set up, you don't have to touch it again. I've got 5,500 listings. If I can have those have exposure to even another million people that it might not get otherwise, it probably wouldn't hurt. I did do three sales on Bonanza this week. I know a lot of people say they're lucky to do one a month, so I'll take that. Three extra sales. It wasn't big money. It was less than $100 total, but that was $100 I didn't have otherwise because those items didn't sell anywhere else. Um, And I did start listing again on Mercari. I'm only listing items that are $20 or higher. I'm not going to mess around with the little small dollar stuff. I'm really just doing it as an experiment. I'm going to list for the next maybe two weeks the stuff over 20 bucks just to see if I get anything going on on Mercari or whether I just need to completely abandon it and delete it from my phone. So I'll keep you updated on that experiment. Uh, And with that, we are going to call it a weekend You've been listening to the Galaxy CDs, Rocks, and Flips Reseller Talk podcast, and we will catch you next week. Thanks, guys.